0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right. Hello, good to see you. Please. Good morning. This is awesome. Candace, you want to come say hi? Yes. Yeah, they want, they definitely, yeah. But I just see His goodness all over you, and I just want you guys to know, as someone who comes once a year, that I just see God's goodness, and I just am full of gratitude. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you, Lord, for Your kindness and Your goodness in our lives, because it's all over you. You know, sometimes I think. What would it look like without the kindness of God in our life? You know, we wouldn't know, but it's all over you. So I'm just so thankful for what God's doing here. And it's a blessing to do anything with you guys. And I just see great things. I just have so, it doesn't even take me faith to see great things for you. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, get ready. Get ready and just stay, stay in and stay together. But you're beautiful. We're so thankful to be here. We love you greatly. Bless you, Bethel, Atlanta. Right. Well, it's, it's good to be back. It's definitely good to be back. Some of you behind the TV, hello. Good to see you. <laughs> How many of you uh, have joined Bethel since the last time we were here, which about a year or so ago? How many do you just? You're smart people, I tell you what, <laughs> super smart people. And this is, you know, we get we get the privilege of traveling a lot, and this is one of our favorite places to go. And obviously the deep history and connection with the team here, but just uh, love what the Lord's doing. We love the vibe. Your worship's gone to a whole nother level. I'm telling Candace, I said everything. You guys are. You're not going backward. I could tell you that, and that's really good. You should be proud of yourself. because some places are going the other direction. So it's really fun when you're not going that direction. So, well, we uh, just flew in this morning. We got up at 3:30 this morning to get here in time for today. Cause oh, don't feel bad for us. It's our choice. Or oh, sure, yeah, feel bad. I want pity. I want tons of pity. No, we were in Orlando yesterday um, at the Send. And did anybody go to that by chance? Anybody here? You were there. So you, were, you flying this morning? Well, we we're on the same, probably on the same flight, huh? You didn't say hi. <laughs> yeah, we were at the Send yesterday, about fifty to 60,000 people gathered from all over the place. And if you've been to any of Lou Engel's, The Calls, and then the Azusa now a couple of years ago, and this one was birthed in the heart of a, a good friend, Andy Bird, who is one of the main YWAM leaders underneath Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. And uh, he has been burning with this idea of gathering, filling a stadium full of people with the idea of starting a new era of a mission movement, sending people into all the world, into every part of culture, you know, just to developing countries, to first world country to business, to, you know, just the whole gamut. And it was unreal. It was such a special day. It was quite hot and quite humid. And I forgot to put some sunscreen on certain spots. But uh, we're okay, we're okay. But it was a special, special day. We saw some amazing things took place and just wonderful. So we wanted to be there for the whole thing and I felt like a traitor this morning. We, we fly United, but we had to fly Delta. It was a little like, I don't understand the language. Main cabin one, main cabin. So confusing. I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic. So, great to be here. If you have your Bibles, why don't you get it open to the Book of Exodus? And uh, we're actually going to start in the beginning of Exodus. We're going to a couple, couple different passages of Scripture, and uh, have a good amount of time to share with you just some stuff that we've been going over as a house back home and something the Lord's been really putting on my heart for a a season. And and we are actually right now, as we speak, we're about a month or two months into a really special outpouring that's been taking place in Reading. We're starting to see just another fresh outpouring take place in in all the pockets and main spaces, small spaces and children and youth. And it's been really, really special. So we've got some fresh stuff stirring. So my prayer is that... um, it continues here and goes to a whole nother level. And we, we know that we're going somewhere. And we're not, we're not occupying space, but we're going somewhere. And going with the Lord where he goes. And so we're just seeing some really beautiful stuff take place. And our Christian school, the hallway has become a fire tunnel ministry. It, it, it's actually like kids are going to the next class and they don't make it. That kind of stuff. It's really, it's really cool. And then we had a every, every other month we do what we call a night of worship where we just take a whole Sunday night and just only do worship. So we take all the chairs out and a standing room. Uh, pretty much mostly, st- we have some chairs in the back for people that need to sit. But for the most part a standing room and uh, that blew up a couple, I don't know, a few weeks ago now. And uh, by the end of the night, I don't know anybody was standing. Let's just put it that way. It was one of those, everybody's out. It was just beautiful. So we're just really seeing the Lord and and Wednesday night in youth group. And so we're just, uh, we're excited for what the Lord is doing. Just for like a fresh, fresh outpouring that's taking place. How many can handle more? Yeah. Maybe not handle more, but how many want more? That's probably the better word, so... So I want to start off today's talk with you about the concept of time. Time is such a fascinating concept in itself. It's on our wrist, it's on our phones, it's it's on our the dashes of our cars, it's on the back screen. I mean time, this whole concept of time of seconds, minutes, days and years and it's just an interesting concept when you start thinking about it. If you notice, have you noticed that depending on how old you are, your perception of time is unique to the age you're at. You know, when you talk to kids, kids do not understand the concept of time. They, they have no grid for it. They don't understand why you can't have dessert till after dinner. They don't, they don't understand that. Now, just so you know, I disagree with that entirely. I actually think dessert is better before dinner. So it is... It's truly, I mean, ask, and you ask my wife if they dessert and dinner at the same time, I will always eat the dessert first. And just a side note, my mom said that's actually healthier that way. So that's what I thought. So, anyway, so anyway. Although she would prefer that we don't eat that much sugar, but said, mom, you're never going to set my dad, my brother, and I free from sugar. It just <laughs> will not happen. We are way too Norwegian to give up that. So that's right. Yeah, we know we're talking about him. Huh? There's a pull to have sugar. It's unreal. Okay, let's move on. So so you have kids, they, they they don't understand the concept of time. They just don't. They don't understand why we have to wait. They just don't get it. And then you get into elementary and you get into elementary year, junior high and high school. You know, the teen years, time starts to become enforced, if you will. Meaning if you're late to class... It's not, it's not gonna work out for you if you keep showing up late to class. So our school systems begin to um, infuse, if you will, into the minds of people, the concept of time. And it just it continues. And it, it's actually really important to learn. This isn't a knock on education system. This is really important that, hey, there is time. Time is actually very valuable. Because if you don't learn concept of time by the time you enter your 20s and you start paying bills, it's gonna be an issue they want you to pay bills on time, your rent, your, you know, your credit card, whatever, whatever bill you have. And so the concept of time is really important to understand. But one thing I've noticed, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was in my 20s, I actually thought I had life all figured out. I so had dial it dialed in. I could never understand why 30, 40, 50, 60, 80-year-olds were so confused on what to do with life. I'm like, you should totally talk to me because I know what I'm talking about. Anybody remember that stage in life? You're like, you thought you had life totally dialed in. You figured life out. You know, your trajectory, you had it all figured out. And, now, and something happened when you exit your 20s and you start going into your 30s is you think you have charge of life. Well, life begins to happen to you. You start feeling life. And all of a sudden, you start going, you know what? Everything I thought in my 20s is totally not going to happen at all. <laughs> It, just, how many remember that? Your 30s, you're like, oh, wow. Now you're just trying to have a good day. You're just trying to like <laughs> just have a life. That's, that is your view of time in your 30s. Then you hit your 40s. And so I, we're 42. So we're, we're just, we're two years into our 40s. And there's some thoughts coming to my head that I've never had before. I've heard about them, but I've never <laughs> felt them. I've never felt. I mean, it, it's really strange, and I, and I actually told myself, "Ah, you won't, you won't have those thoughts." No, no, they're there. They are so there, and it's, it's reality. It's based on the average male life expectancy in America. I'm past the halfway point. And I go, "Wow, that's interesting. I never that never dawned on me that this would come. That I would actually be thinking about not how much how much time how much time I have, but how much time do I have left?" Not in a negative sense, just the reality of like, wow, my clock isn't counting up. It's it's maybe counting, I don't know. That that whole thought process is brand new. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Now it's starting to make sense why, you know, my dad and Danny and Chris, they're in their 60s and they're like, we don't have much time left. We got to get going. And they're specifically Chris, specifically Chris. My dad's like, man, I'm, I'm winding down. Chris was like, oh, man, I got to get going. I got to get started. We're like, bro, you're 60-something. So, don't tell him I said that, but anyway. So you're 40. You start, you start having these thoughts of like, wow, I'm halfway-ish. You know, I'm right there. How much time do I have? You start looking at time very differently. And you start getting picky about how you spend your time. Your 20s and 30s, you're not really thinking that through, but your 40s like, mm, no, nah, I'm not giving my time to that anymore. I didn't know I had the option to say no to that. I mean, that, that's what happened. And then you get your 50s. Then you're, now, for, for me, I'm not 50, obviously, but I'm around a lot of 50 and 60-year-olds. Like, we, we are rubbing shoulders. We're doing life with them, and you guys are awesome. But it's, it's very intriguing to be around 50 and 60-year-olds. They're like, they're like hitting their prime. They're like... Oh, we are at the best stage of our life. And so I'm, you know, just to be honest with you, I love getting gray hair. Kenneth and I, when we were dating, we were like, can't wait to get gray hair together. And so we're like getting there. It's like, it's showing up. So I, the point, I, the reason I made that point is I actually am looking forward to getting older. So I'm not the, I don't want to get older guy. I'm like, yes, I'm 42, sweet, 43 is coming. No, I, I actually am excited about that because it's just life is beautiful at the end of the day. It really is a beautiful thing. So you hit your 50s and you start going, oh man, I'm hitting my prime and how much time, time do I have left? I've noticed something about 60-year-olds. I know it's not black and white, but 60-year-olds, something happened in 60-year-olds. They simply do not care what you think. Is that true? Look at that. They're like, I'll tell you what, when my dad entered his 60s, I saw something come alive in him. He's like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore. <laughs> he didn't have much of it before. I mean, to be honest with you, but he was way more, you know, he was made way more ginger and delicate. But now he's like, I don't even care, and he just <laughs> says whatever he wants to say, posts whatever he wants to post. He does not care. And then Chris is in his 60s, and it, man, Chris just took it to a whole other level. <laughs> And Danny, and Danny is entering that stage, you know, so that's why I've noticed about six-year-olds. Then I've noticed 70s and 80s and 90s, at least the people I talk to, they're like, how many more birthdays am I going to (laughs) have? But it's interesting that depending on where you're at in life, your perception of time is is different. Do I have a lot left? Uh, You know, I can't even think about the rest of my life because there's so much time in front of me. And some of us are like, how much do we actually have left? So I want to propose to you that time is one of the most precious gifts that God's ever given us is this time. What's crazy about time is you can't speed it up. There's nothing you can do to speed it up. There's nothing you can do to slow it down. You can't buy more time. You can't get time back. That's why we love time traveling movies. We love time traveling. We love this idea of going back and making a different decision to change the outcome of today. Back to the future. That's probably the best movie. Then you got... Fun movie like *The Curious Case of Benjamin Button*. If you haven't seen it, you know. Again, if I promote movies from the stage, just know that they aren't perfectly clean. Okay? (laughs) They're gonna be, but I'm trusting you're old and mature enough to do it. You know, don't don't butcher me for it. All right, that's what I'm getting at. But that movie's a fascinating movie. So someone is born old. The baby's like 90 years old, and looks 90. And everybody's freaking out about this baby that looks 90 years old. Well, as the baby grows, the baby gets younger and younger. And so by the time the baby, the body gets to an old age, it's a brand new baby. But this whole idea of time, we as humans are so intrigued with time. We're so fascinated with time. We want to get time back. And Paul talked about in Ephesians 5, he said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. The whole concept of redeeming the time is not even really possible. But why would Paul say it? Because what Paul's trying to communicate, he's saying the word redeem in that passage actually means redeem. But the word time, but the word time is different. There's two Greek words for time. It's chronos and kairos. Chronos is the linear concept of time. You know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the chronological order of time. Kairos is an opportune moment in time. So what Paul is saying the context of his statement, redeem the time because the days are evil. What is he saying, there is an evil agenda on earth right now and they are taking the Kairos moments. And if you want to take time back, then you must redeem time by seizing the Kairos, the opportunities that are in front of you. So on earth right now, there's an evil agenda and then there's what we will call the kingdom agenda, what God wants to do on the earth. Well, just so you know, the other half, if you will, the other side, they're seizing every opportunity they can. They are strategic, they're brilliant, and they're kairosing every moment they can. And It's time for the church, and the church is waking up right now. If you want to redeem time, this is what you do. You take over every opportunity that's a moment in time. What's intriguing about God, too, because God was not born in time. God has no beginning, has no end. He is the alpha and the omega of time. He's the one that created it, started it. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning. And then as you read scripture, it talks about there will be an end. There's actually going to be an end. One of our pastors, Dan Farrelly, he made a statement several years ago. He said, our life is on the front end of forever. Yeah, that the life you have right now is on the front end of forever. Which in the context of eternity, barely registered on the radar. So we have to understand that, yes, we have a beginning, but don't forget we have an end. We have an end to this time on earth. And so we need to be living with eternity in mind. Especially in Western culture, there is, a, there is an aversion to thinking about that. And it's really a ploy of the enemy to get you to not think about what eternity is going to be like. And just only focus on the moment. Listen, we are not from that cut of cloth. We're from the cut of cloth and we're living for that. We're living with eternity in mind. I'll tell you what, we cannot lose sight of that reality. And if you study time in a the, in the Christian biblical sense versus Eastern religion, it's two very different paradigms and two different worldviews. In Eastern religion, it's very circular. It's very cyclical. This is where you get incarnation, reincarnation. You, you die, and if you do well in that life, you get promoted, and you are reborn into something else. If you do horrible in this life, then you get demoted, and you're born into something else. But in biblical faith, if you study scripture, the biblical view of time is actually a road that you're traveling on. You're going somewhere. This is why Paul said we're going from glory to glory. What's fascinating? I have never met one person in my life that likes going around mountains. I have never met one person, Christian, unchristian, non-Christian, whatever you want to call that kind of person, pre-Christian, is the, the latest one I've heard. I'm like, okay, pre-Christian, whatever. Anyone that's not said yes to Jesus, no one on this planet, life going in circles in life. We, we're not designed to go in circles. We're actually designed to go somewhere. We're designed to go from point A to point B. It is in us. This is why we wake up in the morning, and like, we're, what am I doing with my life? So this concept of time is fascinating. So this road that we're traveling on, I want to take you back to a story of Moses. We don't have a ton of time to unpack the whole story because it's one of the great stories in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. It's one of the most phenomenal stories of one of the greatest men I believe to ever walk the face of the earth. We would not be here if it weren't for Moses. What Moses did in his lifetime is phenomenal. But let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. I understand lots of you are familiar with the story, but I need to give you a little bit of context and try to pull out some stuff that will basically take us to the end of Exodus or somewhat toward the end. As you know, Moses, Moses was born into a situation where they were killing baby boys. It was a genocide taking place. The Pharaoh of Egypt had, was basically, Israel had grown to be such a massive amount of humanity, lots of people. And the Pharaoh was concerned that Israel was going to overpower Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. It was going to tip the scales. And so his solution was to kill all the baby boys. So the command went out, the decree went out to kill all the baby boys. And so Moses' his mother hide the baby. And the cool backdrop of that story as far as um, the killing babies, all the Hebrew midwives didn't listen to Pharaoh. And so when the Hebrew women were having the baby boy, the Pharaoh would come to the midwives and say, what are you doing? And because they feared the Lord, they, they told Pharaoh this. They essentially lied in some way, but... The Bible, you can read it. It's, it's an interesting story. But they said the Hebrew women are having children before we get there to deliver the babies. And it said the Lord and the Lord favored the women and gave them places to live. So it's just a beautiful story of, of that. And so Moses was born into that time in human history where if you were born a boy, you were dead. So Moses' his mom put, bundled him up, protected him as long as he could for a number of months, and finally... She can't do it anymore because it was just a bad situation. And so she, as you know, puts him in a basket. It's floatable. puts him in a river and hopes that he floats somewhere where he can be saved. It's one of the great children's church stories. And so Moses floats down, and, and sure enough, he ends up floating out of all the places he could have floated to. He floated to Pharaoh's backyard, the very man that was making the <laughs> decree to kill. Now, we all know that God's sovereign hand was involved because God wanted to raise up somebody in Pharaoh's house because he planned on taking it down someday. So for some of us, it's important to realize that God will actually place you in Pharaoh's house. You might not be in the place that you want to be, but that's where the Lord has you because he will raise you in Pharaoh's house because he will use you to go back and take that house down. And some people, that is your school of ministry. Not everybody, but it is some. Because you have to learn the culture, you have to learn the ways, you have to learn the language, you have to learn the custom, the unwritten things about a house before God will send you back in. But Moses didn't know that, of course. And so Pharaoh's daughter's servant goes to the back and sees the basket floating. So she wades out into the river, grabbed the basket and opens it. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Instead of killing the boy, they take the boy in. Amazing. It's an amazing sovereign miracle in itself. So Moses is now raised within the house of Pharaoh. So I want you to join me in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burden, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let's stop right there. I want you to try to picture this. Moses was raised. Have you ever, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a hometown called Weaverville. Little town of 3,000 people. I spent half of my life there. Anytime I hear something about Weaverville, my heart turned to it instantly. It's hard to describe. There's just there's where you were born and raised. No matter where that may be, you might, have, you might have been born in another country. And every time you hear about your country, your heart turns away. Because there's something in you that is connected deeply to that location, to that people group, to et cetera, et cetera. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a lot of international students and they love Reading, they love Bethel, but man, their hearts ache for their country. Just, you can't turn that off. And so here's Moses being raised in the house of Pharaoh. In the Egyptian culture. And every morning when Moses opened his window, he'd look out upon his own brothers and sisters and cousins and blooded. And he had to wrestle with this reality of, like, how come I'm here and I'm not there? How, what it, and I'm sure at some point he felt this injustice. Maybe he started feeling guilty. 40 years, he's a 40 year old man now, and he's starting to come to this place of, like, this isn't okay anymore. And so in his in my opinion, in his effort to, to, to just reconcile the injustice, the potential guilt, I need, to, I need to do something about this. So he comes upon a scene where an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow blood. And so he killed the Egyptian thinking no one saw it. And then he buried the Egyptian. Then the next morning, he, he's walking around. And, and I think, I bet Moses felt a little bit better about himself. He's like, okay, this helped to reconcile I'm in the palace, so I took care of one Egyptian. I somehow reconciled him. So he, he sees two Hebrews fighting. In the next few verses, two Hebrews fighting and arguing. And he said, hey guys, knock it off. And then one of them looked at him and said, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy? Well, Moses did it, thought he did in secret the previous day. Well, definitely not a secret. Now he's thinking, who else knows about this? And now he's scared for his life because of what his adopted father, Pharaoh, finds out. So Moses does what most of us would do is you take off and flee. So Moses now 40 years old. He takes off and he goes to the land of Midian. And he goes to the land of Midian. And to make a long story short, he ends up taking residence there. And he ends up marrying a daughter of the the, the main priest of Midian. So Moses is now spending 40 years in the wilderness, essentially there because he was running from, he was a fugitive. So now he's in what they call the back of the desert. I want you to read with me in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Verse 3. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why? The bush does not burn. So Moses is 40. Now he's around 80 years old. 80 years old. And he's definitely not done with his life, which is, I think a good testimony for us. Moses is 80 years old. He's in the back of the desert. And I want you to capture something here. He's been running. I would propose to you that he's starting to feel like he's not being chased anymore. He's been running for 40 years. He ran. Why? Because he thought he was going to get killed by his father and his adopted father. So now he's 80 thinking, okay, I think I'm safe now. And he's in the back of the wilderness, which is deep in Africa. Heidi Heidi Baker called it the Bush Bush. In the Middle East at the back of the desert, which means that is way out there. And he's doing what he does. He's a shepherd. He's taking care of sheep and doing his thing. And he sees this sight. He sees this bush burning. Now, I know this is one of the most commonly well understood verses or stories in Scripture. But I want you to capture something here. He looked at this bush and he said to himself, I will now turn aside to look at this bush. Now, some of us have read the story and we thought that God was talking and so Moses turned. No, the, God would never said a word yet. He simply turned. So we have to ask the question, what was it that made Moses look at this bush? Now, just for context, burning bushes in the Middle East is a common occurrence. I've done research and study on it, and it's debatable online. I've found different scholars saying different things. But I have friends in the Middle East, and I called them up. I said, please tell me if this is true or not. And they said, oh, it's absolutely true. It gets up to 130 degrees plus in the desert, over 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And there is the actual bush out in the wilderness that it had chemical molecular structure that when it's that hot, it spontaneously combusts. So this was a normal occurrence is what I want you to grasp. This wasn't an abnormal thing. I think all of it, man, if a bush never burned and you saw one, who wouldn't look? So my proposal to you is that this is not, this is not abnormal. This was normal. So the next question, why did Moses look? I believe it says in the scripture, because the bush was actually not burning it was consumed with fire, but it wasn't being consumed. What's fascinating at that moment a Moses turned and look, qualified him to become the savior of Israel. I, I don't know about you, but that just, that just messes me up a little bit, because there's something about the curiosity. There's something about you and I have must remain curious when it comes to the things of the Lord. And a lot of us have become familiar. We've become familiar with God. We've become familiar. Oh, I've seen that before. I've got the t-shirt and I've done that. In fact, I've got four bumper stickers. Would you like one? we become familiar with something. we become familiar with the moment. I've seen that before. And we just kind of get accustomed to it. So somehow the curiosity of Moses is what causes the tension to draw. And it was in that moment that God began to speak. It was in this moment that he began to speak, and God said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And this is when Moses, Moses hadn't met God yet. Talk about an introduction. God knows how to introduce himself. And this began what is called, in my opinion, the greatest friendship in Scripture. Moses, grew, grew, If he had a tombstone, it said, friend of God. That's who Moses was. He became someone who's a friend of God. Moses' life begins to unfold as he begins to follow the Lord. And there's several moments where Moses changes God's mind. Like we understand our relationship with God very one way. And we're stoked when he says something back to us. Moses was at such a friendship level with God that he said, Hey God, that's a bad idea. I wouldn't do that if I were you. And God said, That's a really good point. I don't know what I was thinking. Read between Exodus 3 and Exodus 33 and you'll run into that story. It's one of the most bizarre. And we just read over. I'm like, time out. Go back and think about that for a second. How many of you actually say, God, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and God actually listened to you. So this shows you the level of friendship that Moses and God had. So in Exodus 3, what guarded Moses' introduction to his relationship with the Lord was he was curious. I believe the church needs to get curious again. I believe you and I need to get curious again. We need to get curious again about the things of God. We've become way too familiar. We've become way too familiar. We 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 found out. We need to get curious again. We need to actually pay attention to these things because sometimes the Lord is speaking through it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes you turn and look at a burning bush and nothing happened. All right, then move on. But if there's another one, make sure you're looking. So, being curious. So here you have from Exodus 3 all the way to Exodus 33, you've got a story. It's one of the most bizarre stories about the nation getting set free from Egypt, the 10 plagues. You've got the fire by night, cloud by day. You've got the, the most bizarre outpouring, what we would call an outpouring, God showing up, signs and wonders. I mean, signs and wonders started here. This is, this is the phrase signs and wonders, I think originated in the Exodus. God was just bizarre. And so you've got, this, you've got this developing relationship. You read in Exodus 19, verse 3, where Moses would go up to the mountain when no one else would go. And Moses, they said Moses was actually going up for days and weeks on end. One of the reasons why they made a golden calf is because Moses was gone for a long time. They thought, we lost our leader, so let's create something else to worship. That's what was going on. Moses was spending time with the Lord day after day, week after week. Until so by the time you get to Exodus 33, just go ahead and turn there with me. Exodus chapter 33. Verse one, we're gonna read verses one through three. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, Hittite, Perizzites, Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are stiff-necked people. I want you to think about this for a moment. Imagine if today you go home from church and God shows up in your house and says, hey, all those promises I spoke of your life, guess what? Tomorrow you get to have them. In fact, I'm going to send an angel before you and he's going to remove every obstacle that's ever been in the way. You will now step into every promise that I've spoken to you. How many of you will get really excited about that? Be like, absolutely. This is not a trick question, so you can raise your hand. If you're not excited about that, I don't, know, I don't know what to say to you. But if God said, guess what, tomorrow's your day, every promise, every hindrance, obstacle, I'll remove it. We'd be like, Finally! Where were you 10 years ago? But I'm good. And I th- I'm glad I waited. I mean, that would be our response. The fact that God said, I'm going to remove every obstacle to every promise. And so we would all be like, God, it's and awesome. We'd run out of the tent and tell the nation, hey, God says we can have the land now. But that's not what Moses does. Moses, he says, okay, hold on. And he set, the, he set the people up, and then he takes his tent, if you can read in the middle of Exodus 33, he takes his tent, and he puts it outside the camp. And he basically says, God, I want a meeting with you. This is, this is the level of friendship Moses had with God. He sets up a meeting with God, and you can read it later in the chapter. He says, God, I have a question for you. Are you going with us? And God said, nope. Moses said, I'm not going either. I begin to realize something. I wonder how many times we've chosen promise over his presence. I don't even want to know. I'm afraid to look at my path and go, did I choose his promise over his presence? I don't say this from a guilt standpoint. I say this from a just a sobering reality of what's more important to me, the promises of God or his presence. Now, you would think that if God said, take your promise, it's permission. Now, now what's fascinating about it, if you really dive into to start thinking this through, when God says, hey, go get your promise, he's saying, you can do it. If you have my full permission and blessing, in fact, I'll send someone in front to take care of business for you. So is it wrong to do that? No, it's not wrong. God said, do it, it's all good. But there was something in Moses that I wanna have in my own life. Is that he understood, I actually don't care about that as much as I care about you being with us. Because any future without him, without his presence, you will have to sustain it. Anything in front of you that you just step into and he's not with you, you will have to keep going. On your own strength, your own merit, your own skill set, your own development, you will have to sustain your future. And Moses knew. He said, no, 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 no. This is not how I do this. I'm going into my future with his presence because if he's with me, he will sustain my future. He will sustain. So my proposal to you today, this morning, is this. What more important do you, his promises or his presence? Now the danger of sharing this with you, to be honest with you, it's it's a wrestling match. It's gonna be a wrestling match. Some of you are gonna go home and be slightly confused and I'll tell you why. Because you're like, shoot, I'm not doing anything in my life. So you become inactive. You become, well, I, I, I don't wanna screw up anything so I'm just gonna stay put for the rest. No, 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 that's not what I'm encouraging today. I'm not encouraging you to become lackadaisical, immovable people unwilling to move. What I'm encouraging you to do is like, What's more important to you, his promise or his presence? Do you want to go into your future with them, or do you want to go into your future with just you and an angel, which is still a pretty good deal? I'll be honest with you. Well, at least there's an angel. I mean, I'll, I'll take an angel any day. But this reveals to me there was something in the life of Moses that he understood the value of his presence. And it actually can be found if you read, if you continue to read. He said, what will separate us from them? What will separate your people from all the other people? He said, the only thing that separates us from the rest of this planet is your presence. It's not success. It's not land. It's not wealth. It's nothing. The only thing that separates us, and Moses understood that, So Bethel, Lana, I'm speaking into the very foundation of your house, into your very foundation of your life. What separates you from everyone, and this is not an us and them mentality, this is just a principle, Is his presence. It's his presence with you. So all these promises in life, all these prophetic words that you've been receiving personally and corporately, it's not, it's, it's, it's a matter of what, what's your attention going to be drawn to? What, what's going to pull your devotion? And so I, I want to just propose to you, we need to choose his presence. We need to choose his presence. I've been feeling this incredible desire, um, to slow down. Maybe because I'm 42. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I feel things a lot differently now. I'm like, jeez. Geez. Thing take a little longer to heal. That bruise is still there. Dang. I mean, you're making fun of me, you're 60 year olds. But when you were 40, you were making fun of me when I was 30. So it's just how it works. But let me ask you a couple questions. These are rhetorical questions. How many find it hard to go pray and within one minute you're completely distracted? It's rhetorical. You don't raise your hand. (laughs) I love the honesty. It's awesome. We are getting pulled in just about every direction. Our pockets are buzzing all the time. Our watches are just going off on our wrist. We're getting completely fractured and distracted in our ability to give him our attention and our devotion. It wouldn't surprise me if there's been more burning bushes than we would want to admit. Because we're just getting pulled here, we're getting pulled here, we're getting pulled here. And I'm not bashing technology. I love technology. I use the heck out of it. But I want to make sure it's in its right place in my life. That it doesn't have my full devotion. I want to make sure my devotion's in the right place. So I've been feeling this recently, this, this, this thing that I have got to protect this, Because my time... Is time taking advantage of me or am I taking advantage of time? And it's this whole reality of like, where, where's my devotion? Am I able to give my devotion to the Lord? Am I able to, am I just reading scripture just to read it for the day and said I read my Bible every day? Or am I actually fully reading scripture? What's fascinating is you study millennials and Gen Z, not specifically Gen Z, because most of them are still in high school. But millennials especially, they're, the, one of the phrases they're using a lot right now is they want to detox from technology. Because that generation is the generation that would literally rage in technology. They, are raid, they, in, they don't know anything else but technology. Phone books, they don't even know what a phone book is. The only reason why they know it is because they were told about it. They were completely raised and shaped by a digital world, of techn- technological world. And now one of the biggest conversations in millennials is running now, I gotta detox from this stuff. So what I'm finding in millennials because of that generation was raised in this, they're actually finding these old books on ancient practices of devotion to the Lord. It's something that God is stirring in the hearts of people. No matter if you're millennial or you're older than that, doesn't matter. It's not an age thing, but there is this reality. The Lord is actually calling us to go into the wilderness with him. He's actually, he's saying, hey, come so my challenge to you before i wrap this up is what's more important to you his promises your accomplishment your successes his promises or is it his presence what's more important to you and i want to challenge you in this next season i don't think this is just a two-week plan i think this is the the next operating system and that is to begin to cultivate a new level of devotion to the lord a new ability to give him all of our attention that lasts longer than a minute. That sounds horrible to say, but it's true. Yeah. I wanna be going before the Lord and be able to not oh, what's on Instagram right now? How many ever felt that don't this is a rhetorical question as well. <laughs> you do your devotions and then something just kind of gets you, grab your phone and you gotta see what the latest photos are. Have you ever noticed you can't even finish a movie anymore? Without looking at your phone. Uh, okay, I think I'll just kind of check social media while this movie's playing. This shows me that we're completely fractured in such a way, and it's time for us to get all of our pieces back and be able to give it to the Lord. So I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. I just want to take a moment and pray. I feel like, I feel like there's something special in the room right now. There's an opportunity for us in the room. And, and I want to I wanna give a moment for us to turn our attention to the Lord. Now, if you're a brand new believer or you've been following the Lord your entire life, to me, it doesn't matter how, how short or long you've been following him. What matters to me right now is that you're willing to step into this new season where his presence is more important than his promises and his successes that you want to be about him. And it's essential. It's about a friendship. And so, Father, right now, I pray for this house, this family, this church, that this would be a place. And I think it's beautiful that we're in an actual tent. There's something fun and prophetic about that and even poetic in some way. And I pray this morning as, as we are gathering in a tent, just like the nation of Israel did, this is where they met with you. This is where Moses would go and Joshua would never leave. And I pray that today we would begin to cultivate a new level of devotion to you. That we would learn to literally slow down and give you our devotion and our attention. we, We want to be a group of people. We want to be a nation of people to sincerely that are more about your presence and promises. We know that the future ahead is unbelievable. Just being a part of a massive event like yesterday, we live in such a great time in human history. But we also want to be a people that recognize that your presence is what separates us. It's not successes, it's not wealth, it's none of that. It's your presence. And I pray for every person in this room today that this burden, this conviction would rest on us. To give our devotion to get our devotion back to give it to you and father I pray for a grace to rest on this room too for everybody in this room a grace to rest on all of us to step into this new season where we turn aside because of curiosity of a burning bush and we would become unfamiliar with you again so we can become curious again I want to give a moment for people in this room. Keep your eyes closed if you can. I want to give a moment for people in this room. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said, I want to give my life to him, but for some reason you found yourself in this amazing space and you want to say, you know what, today I want to to give my life to Jesus. I want to repent for my sins. I want to be forgiven of my sins so I can spend eternity with Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. Put your hand high up in the air so I can see you. I just want to take a moment to look around the entire room and make sure we give an opportunity for people to get right with Jesus. Is there anybody in this tent right now that would love to give their life to Jesus? Put your hand up so I can see you. I'm just going to take my time and look around the room. All right. Put your hand on your neighbor. And repeat after me. Jesus, mess them up. Say it again. Jesus, mess them up. Yeah, The Holy Spirit, we ask for just a fresh outpouring on this house. Fresh outpouring on this house. Holy Spirit, come in greater measure. Come in greater measure. Increase our capacity for more more of you we don't want to become familiar with you we want to become incredibly curious about you that even our burning bush would draw our attention to you and so Father we pray for that person on our right and our left mess them up today mess them up this week rearrange their life if necessary <laughs> and everybody said amen. "Amen, amen bless you guys thank you